And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about tonight in our message. We're going to be in Isaiah 43. And I want to speak about savoring your salvation. Isaiah 43, verse number 1. How to savor, how to enjoy your salvation. That's kind of the theme of our testimonies tonight, I think. Kind of the theme of the songs we sang. Enjoying our salvation. Isaiah 43, 1 says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, they shall not be burned. Thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior, I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee, since thou wast precious in my sight. Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore I, therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, keep not back, bring my sons from far, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Father, I pray that you would bless us tonight. We're so grateful that you looked down from heaven and saw our need. And Lord, without holding a grudge and without being bitter toward us, that we were sinners. You loved us. You gave your son for us. You saved us. And Lord, how, how much greater gift could we have received? And how much more joyful should we be than the fact that you love us, saved us, and you have a future for us? I pray you'd bless us tonight. Help us to learn how to savor that salvation that you've bestowed upon your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A Hindu trader in India once asked a missionary, what do you put on your face to make it shine? And the missionary said, uh, I don't put anything on my face. I don't know what you mean. And he said, yes, the, the Indian said, yes, you do. He said, all of you who believe on Jesus seem to have that same shine about your face. And he said, I've seen it in towns of Agra, Surat and even the city of Bombay. Suddenly the Christian understood that his face glowed because of his salvation in Jesus Christ. And he understood what the Indian was talking about. Far too many Christians lose that glow about them. When people first get saved, a lot of times you can just notice it right off. They just seem, there seems to be an energy about them. There seems to be a glow about their face, a smile on their lips. There seems to be rejoicing in their heart. Glad to be saved. Maybe they had just given up a great burden of, of sin that had been holding them down painfully for a long time and they felt the relief from it. Those who had fear of hell, now they know they're delivered and heaven is going to be their home. And it just produces a glow on their face. There's something about Christians 
that others ought to notice, and that's the glow of their face. But sometimes we have to wear a sad expression. I mean, we lose loved ones to the grave. Maybe, maybe some tragedy happens, and we might, for a short time, not have that smile on our face, that glow about us. But it ought to soon be replaced with the joy of the Lord. As David said, even after his great sin, he said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He wanted to have that glow about him. He wanted to have that, that feeling within him that everything's okay with the Lord. And if everything's okay with the Lord, it can be okay with others as well. You know, I, I was thinking about this, about savoring your salvation. Sometimes we grow a little dull and maybe we forget what, Lord, what the Lord done for us, what he's done and, and how he looks out for us and how he provides for us. And we, we just let it become kind of a ho-hum, you know, another day for the Lord. And we kind of maybe let the, the sweetness lose its savor in our Christian taste. I was thinking about, you know, I'm, I'm a coffee roaster. I, I was, a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, I started roasting coffee beans, uh, buy unroasted beans, call them green beans, not the kind you get it's Walmart in the can. <laughs> and uh, you take these unroasted beans. I started out by roasting them in a skillet. And then I got a, uh, a, an air, an air, a forced air popcorn popper and started roasting beans in that. And, and it seemed to be a little better. And then eventually I got a, a real roaster. It's not a professional, but it's just a little uh, roaster. Look about the size of a, a large blender made for the purpose of roasting coffee beans. And you can roast them to the level you like. You know, if you buy it at the grocery store, you're kind of at the mercy of whoever roasted it, and you can buy whatever's available. When you roast your own coffee, you can roast it dark, you can roast it light, you can roast it medium. You can just put it wherever you want. You can, you can draw out the roasting process longer and make it have that deep roast flavor, or you can shorten the process and, and have a light and bright uh, roast that has kind of a fruity, flowery taste. And so I got used to roasting my own coffee. The first time I roasted Ethiopian beans, uh, Ethiopians, Ethiopians are my favorite. Now, everybody likes something different. Aaron and Erica like Colombian better. And uh, other people like different. Some people like gas station coffee, Chad. <laughs> and so, you, you know, you, everybody's flavor, everybody's taste and flavor, uh, savor of the flavor is a little different. Well, I was thinking, boy, the first time I roasted Ethiopian coffee, man, it, it was, it had that, Fruity, flowery, bright taste, had, had a blueberry uh, flavor to it. It was just unique. And I'd heard others read about it on the Internet about people trying to go for that blueberry flavor out of the Ethiopian beans. And I got that. I thought, man, this is tremendous. And it made an impact on me. Now, every time I roast Ethiopian beans, I'm trying to roast it a little, little darker, maybe a little lighter, trying to go back and forth, find that perfect sweet spot. And every morning when I make my coffee, I, I sit down and uh, I'll sip on it. I pour my coffee out of a cr little carafe. It's actually just a stainless steel mug. And I put it in there, but then I pour it out just a sip at a time in my little porcelain cup. And it's just the right drinking temperature when you do that, you know. And so I pour it out, take a little sip, I'll swish it around in my mouth and, uh, and slurp it and try to taste it with all the different parts of my tongue because I want to savor that flavor. And I'm always looking, trying to gain that 
original taste that I had when I first roasted the Ethiopian beans. Our Christianity is kind of that way. If you remember back when you first got saved, man, everything was sweet to you. You, you loved the Lord. You loved the church. You loved the Bible. You loved talking to the Lord. You loved telling other people about Jesus. And then as time passes, we grow accustomed to that. And it's, it's rather easy for us to kind of lose the savor. And so the purpose of the message tonight is to inspire us to try to savor the flavor of being saved. We don't want to lose it. And therefore, we, we have to go back every once in a while. Uh, every morning is a good way to do it. Uh, go back every once in a while, maybe while we're reading the Bible or talking to the Lord, and try to get a new grasp on that salvation, that one-time experience that happened and remember how sweet it was in those first days after we got saved. Well, these verses that we've read <clears throat> have a primary interpretation uh, towards Israel being, uh, after they go into captivity, being regathered, and one day during this millennial reign of Christ, Jesus will give them the land that he promises to bring them back to. But the application is there for all of God's people, and it's there for you and me even in this age. Let's take a few minutes this evening just to see what these things are that can help us to regain the savor of our flavor, just to, to get reintroduced to the sweetness of living for the Lord and what it means to be saved. Are you saved? You ought to live, live like you're saved, look like you're saved, and, and experience it every day in your heart that you are saved. First of all, you can enjoy your salvation because you have a past. Whoa. That sounds strange, preacher. Let's read it again in Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee. <clears throat> hey, that was in the past. O Jacob, and formed thee, O Israel. It was God that brought Israel out from all the other peoples of the world. <laughs> he said, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by my name. Thou art mine. And then in verse 3 he says, For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom. And in verse 4 he says, since thou was precious in my sight. Israel had a past and God redeemed them from their past. Most of us would just soon forget our past, but there's something about our past that we ought to remember. I read about the woman who went to the lawyer to take out papers against her ex-husband. She was really rough looking when she came in. looked like she hadn't slept and maybe not even bathed. Boy, she was looking uh, really rough and, and trembling as she related at length to the lawyer about how her ex-husband had made life miserable for her and how he every day would, would try to downgrade her to her son. And, and she's just, she just really distraught about the whole thing and and uh, she said he's been doing that ever since their divorce. And the lawyer looked at her and he thought, now she's, she's pretty old to have a son like that that's still young and at home. He said, how old is your son, ma'am? She said, he's 32. He said, wow, how long ago was the divorce? She said, well, it was uh, 17 years ago. He said, are you making a career out of this feeling that you've got? <laughs> she wasn't going to give up on her bitter feelings. I, Something happened in the past. She was just going to keep on living like she's in the past. Well, we'd, we all got some past that we'd like to leave back in the past. 
But everyone, even though they have a past history that's better forgotten, we have a past that we could cherish. And there's three things here that God mentions in our verses that we read that he's done for every believer in their past. Number one is redemption. He says for Israel, he said, I've redeemed you. I bought you. Thou art mine. You are not his. You were the devil's before he saved you. And now, friend, he's redeemed you. And that is in your past. That's something that happened that, that caused you to be somebody different. When he redeemed Israel, and first, well, just go with me if you will, or I'll, I'll just read it to you. First Peter 1.18, for us in the New Testament, he says, For as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a, a lamb without blemish and without spot. We've been redeemed. Did any of us deserve that? No, no, friend. We didn't deserve to be redeemed, but, but did we get redeemed? He did. Why? Because he loved us. And because he loved us, he redeemed us. And though you belonged to the devil one time, now you belong to him. And that's something, friend, that you can remind yourself about and enjoy your salvation. I don't belong to the devil anymore. I belong to him. And everything's going to be okay. We were saved because 2,000 years ago he went to a cross and bought our salvation for us. We ought to be joyful about our salvation because of that. Then there's something else. Not only redeemed, but there's a renewal. He called them by their name. He said, oh, Jacob... Oh, remember when Jacob was a trickster for Israel and then he wrestled with the Lord at the brook and some things changed, his name changed. <laughs> and now he's called Israel after that. God renewed Israel, made them different. Then along came, comes Abraham, the father of the multitude. Well, just like God renewed Israel, he's renewed you and me who have been saved in this New Testament time. He's renewed us. Not what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. He renewed me. Renewed me. He renewed you. That's, isn't that something? Now, we've been redeemed. We've been renewed. Isn't that something that ought to make us enjoy our salvation? Isn't that something that ought to put the shine back on our face again? And then there's a third thing, reception. He reminds the Israelites that he's taken possession of them and that they are his alone and when you get saved friend you belong to him you're his child when you're born again you're born into the family of God and he calls you he's not ashamed to call you his child Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brethren that ought to put a smile on our face and some spring in our step when we realize that he redeemed us he renewed us and he received us he received us right where we were I mean I, I hadn't done anything worthy of being noticed by God it's just that he loved me and wanted to save me I was a mess when he found me and some of you were too in fact no matter how good you were you were still a mess when he found you and now he received you he received you the day you turned your heart to him and said you know this mess this sinful life that I've been attached to this road that I've been on towards hell, this is not worth it. I 
want to turn to Christ. And the moment you said, Lord, I'm trusting you as my Savior, right then, right where you are, you might have had snot in your whiskers and, and mud on your feet and dirty clothes and you might have had a hangover, you might have had drugs still in your vein, but he took you. The moment you trusted him as Savior, he took you right then and made you his. He received you. Oh, we didn't deserve it, but aren't you glad? That's something to smile about. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are God's. Hey, we belong to Him. He received us. I may not look like much, but I belong to Him. And you do too if you've been born again. By the way, nothing can ever change that. <laughs> Once He receives you, it's all His doing. And once He receives you, the devil may come along and try to drag you away. Your sinful friends may try to drag you away. But the Bible teaches that once you're his, you're his, friend. Nothing can change it. John 10, 28, Jesus said, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Aren't you glad for eternal security? Aren't you glad that you don't have to wake up tomorrow and say, boy, I'm going to have to really try hard today or I won't make it to heaven. I'm going to have to keep on plugging along. I can't let sin overtake me. I've got to, I got to keep loving God and serving God and I've got to help other people and I've got to give and I've got to do this, that, and the other thing or God won't have me. No, He already has you. It's done. And he's never going to give you away. He's never going to send you away. He that cometh to me, Jesus said, I will in no wise cast out. Boy, I'm glad about that. That ought to make you smile. When we take a moment and look back where he brought us from, that should have the power to encourage us. Maybe that's why in Isaiah 51, 1, God reminded Israel of where he brought them from. He said in Isaiah 51, 1, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. He said, Israel, I dug you out of an old miry clay pit, and you that are saved, he says, you need to look back and see where I brought you from. See what I've done for you. Well, you can enjoy your past salvation because, I mean, you can enjoy your salvation now because you have a past. And you can enjoy your salvation, number two, because you have a provider. In Isaiah, our text, 40, chapter 43, verse 2, he says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. What does that remind you of? Boy, that sounds kind of like uh, leading the children through the Red Sea. And you may have some Red Sea experiences where you're, maybe you're afraid going in, but he's going to keep you safe going all the way through. He said, I will be with thee, and though the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. That kind of sounds like when he led Israel across Jordan, it was flooded, and he just stopped it. The priests put their foot in the water. The priests walked up the edge of the water and, and kind of trembled a little bit. And Joshua said, go ahead and go. God said, make them go. And so the priest stuck his foot in the water, and as soon as he did, the water split, and God led them through on dry ground through the river Jordan. Sometimes you'll be in deep waters. You may be afraid to put your foot in the water, but just remember, you have someone who will provide for you. You have a God 
who has brought Israel through those things. And then he says, when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither the flame, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Hey, remember the three Hebrew children when they said, king will not bow before you, we'll only bow before God. Then the king said, we're throwing you in the fiery furnace. And three Hebrew children got thrown in the fiery furnace. And when they came out, <laughs> they came out because Jesus was in there with them and he'll be in there with you too. And when they brought those three Hebrew children out, they said, man, there, nothing on them was burned. The clothes wasn't burned. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Isn't that great? He's going to take care of you. Well, what does this mean for us? God has not changed. There's not an area of your life nor the circumstances that befall you but what God cannot take care of. You say, but these things, that crossing of the Red Sea and the Jordan River and the fiery furnace, those were all in Bible times when God performed miracles. Can you show me in the Bible where it says God's not capable of performing miracles anymore? I don't think so. Could he perform a miracle? He can, and he may, and he does. But let me just remind you that God, God, if God's powerful enough to split the Red Sea and the Jordan River and to bring three men out of a burning, fiery furnace by the way of miracles, don't you think he would also be powerful enough to deliver you from everyday, ordinary circumstances through the natural course of events? He can. We've got a miracle-working God, but he doesn't even have to work a miracle if he doesn't want to. He can make things work out just the way you need. He can take care of you. Philippians 4, 19, you know the verse, but my God shall, shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what brings God glory when he delivers his people? When you're facing dire circumstances and he steps in and makes things get better? I was... I don't know at the times that I've seen things I was going to have to face. And I thought, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Turn it over to the Lord. Can't figure it out, but he can. And then without me lifting a finger, now I'm saying you, you ought to be willing to help. I, I don't think God, God wants you to lean on the shovel while he does the digging. But at the same time, there's been times when I didn't know what to do. I couldn't do anything if I wanted to. And God made it work out. He is able. He's able. His great exploits in the past. He, he, clothed, he clothed Israel. Remember, we're talking about Israel here in Isaiah 43. Remember when they came out of Egypt and he's leading them through the, prom, or through the wilderness to, toward the promised land. And it says that their clothes didn't wear out and they didn't need shoes for all those years of wandering. Hey, God is able. And he fed them manna when they're in the wilderness. I don't know what it was like. I think it sustained them, everything that God, he doeth all things well. And so whatever it was like, they said it's kind of like a little flake. I don't know if these are post toasties. <laughs> but whatever it was fell out of heaven and they gathered it up and ate it and it sustained them. Uh, one, one preacher said that he figured it up. Now, I didn't do this, so if the math's wrong, blame him, not me. He said 
just the number of people that are wandering in the wilderness eating that daily manna would have amounted to 240 boxcar loads a day. That's a lot of manna. Well, if God can do that, He can take care of me. He took care of the, the widow at Zarephath. Remember her? Old Elijah came along and, and through the power of God saw that, that widows had their needs met and the oil in the barrel didn't fail and the meal sustained them. And even Elijah on the brook Kareth when he was there without food, God sent the ravens to bring him food on the creek bank. Well, what a God. What a God. I mean, if he can take care of, a, of an old preacher out there on the creek bank where there's nothing to eat, then he ought to be able to take care of you and me too. He fed the 5,000. They didn't go hungry. In fact, it said there was a bunch of 12 baskets, wasn't it 12 or 13 baskets left over? Or uh, they all got fed. And they even had food left over. I guess all the disciples took some home. You know how Baptist preachers are. <laughs> he can do things like that that we're not even able to mention. I think sometimes we forget the wonder and awesomeness of God, what he can do. We read about it in the Bible and we think, boy, that's things in the past. Same God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Have you ever been asked to do something? You know, God's willing. He's willing to help us. Sometimes we wonder, I, I would ask God, but I'm not sure I ought to ask him. He might not be willing to do this. He's willing. God's willing. He's able and he's willing. Have you ever had anybody to ask you to do something for them and you had to think it over or say, I don't know if I'm really willing to do this or not. <laughs> well, God, God knows already whether he's willing to do it or not. God's willing to help us out. I read this little account the woman said, we accompanied our son and his fiancée when they met her preacher to sign some pre-wedding ceremony papers. While filling out the form, our son read aloud a few questions and he got to the last one which read, are you entering this marriage at your own will? And he looked over at his fiancée and she said, write down yes. <laughs> you know, God's willing. God is willing. You have a need? He's willing. God wants to meet your need more than you want Him to meet it. He wants. You know why? Because it brings Him glory to meet your need. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Sound like God's going to take care of us, don't you think? Sound like He's willing. He's faithful to his word. He's always near. Whatever the need, God stands ready. And then number three, there's a promise. Verses five through seven. In our text, chapter 43 of Isaiah, he says, Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. Outside of the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar. And my daughters from the ends of the earth, even everyone that is called by my name, everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made, I made him. 
in these verses, God reminds his people that they have a bright future, a bright future. It's easy to become cynical in our day and time. We see things going haywire around us. I mean, the, the financial situations, the, uh, the political scene, the social conditions, we look at that and say, good Lord, what are we going to do? Well, the Lord is not, <laughs> he's just that, a good Lord, and he's not uh, surprised by anything that's happening. He said it would go this way. And we, as his children, still have a bright future. And that's why we can have that shine on our face as Christians. We can put a smile on our face. We can have joy in our heart. We can enjoy our salvation. We can savor our salvation because we have a bright future. He promises to bring Israel back during the millennial reign and they'll have their land back. But we get to enjoy some of this too. That application is for you and me. We live under the hope of his promises as well. There will be a gathering. He says, I'm going to gather them from the south and from the north and from far places. I'm going to gather all Israel together again. There's going to be a gathering. And one of these days, friend, there's going to be a gathering for his church. For those who are saved in this age, there's one of these days when that trumpet's going to sound and we're going to go up with a brand new body instantly. When you hear the sound of the trumpet, you're going to have a different body. That redeemed body is going to be fully redeemed, fully saved. It's going to be changed and whatever Christ is like, we shall be too. There will be a gathering. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. <clears throat> Behold, I so show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He's saying, now not every one of you are going to die. There's going to be some people alive when I come back. But he said, everybody's going to get changed. Everybody who's trusted him is going to be changed. He said, 50, verse 52, In a moment and a twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. That means their body is not going to be decayed and won't decay ever. It's going to be a brand new body. And we shall all be changed. Verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal shall put, must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. I figured death is probably the thing that most people dread the most. And yet I've heard it said, and I suppose it's a good way to look at it, that death is not an end for the Christian. It's just stepping through a door into eternity and you and I are going to be changed we're going to be different in a moment in a twinkling of an eye I don't know how he's going to do it but the God that created the universe is going to change my body as, as it goes up and your body you're going to leave your walking stick behind you're going to leave your glasses behind your hearing aids behind you're not going to need the medications anymore you can forget the doctor's address you can forget your appointments for the doctor you can just go up and say everything's going to be okay from here on out you're going to have a brand new body you won't have arthritis anymore you won't have stomach pain anymore your feet's not going to hurt and your legs are not going to hurt and you're not going to get tired because you've got a brand new body Forevermore, one day Jesus will return in the clouds and receive his people unto himself. And just like he's telling Israel, I'm going to gather you back unto myself, he told the New Testament church the same thing. I'm coming for you. So Matthew 24, 44 indicates that we need to be ready. 
And then in Luke 12, 37, we need to be looking and watching. And John, 1 John 3, 3, we ought to be pure and ready to meet him. And in Mark 16, 15, we ought to be telling, telling others about the Lord Jesus. He is coming back, and we are going up. And all of eternity is going to be wonderful for you and me, but there's still people who don't know him. And we've got to be ready to tell them before he comes. There will be glory. Verse 7 reminds us that God's purpose in the creation of man and his redemption is to bring glory to himself. And God is glorified when somebody gets saved. We're heaven bound. We're going to be glorified. And we'll see him and be with him forever. I think Christians ought to have that shine about their face. I think we ought to have that joy in our heart. I believe God has done so much for us and going to do so much for us and he's providing for us in the present. How could we keep but just maybe having a little bit of shouting spell and saying God is good. I've got a great future. It doesn't matter what happens here. There may be some pain between now and the time he comes back but all eternity is going to be a wonderful, wonderful and awesome experience. So why should I not smile? Why should I not Enjoy my Christianity. Are you ready for this promise to be coming soon? I think he's coming back pretty soon. God saved us in the past. He provides for us in the present. And he has a beautiful plan for us in the future. Christians can savor the salvation that they possess. With these thoughts in mind, don't you think we ought to enjoy our salvation? I think sometimes Christians go around looking like they've lost their best friend, and maybe they did, but we ought not to make it a way of life. We ought to be happy because of what God has done for us. Are you enjoying your salvation this evening? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. Lord, I pray that you'd help, help the Christians <coughs> who have heard these verses tonight to realize just what you've done for us. Lord, how precious we are to you. I don't know why. But apparently we were valuable to you or you wouldn't have sent your son to die on the cross for us. And we're eternally grateful for that, Lord. We know that you forgave us for our past, saved us in our past where we were. You provide for us in the present. And Lord, though we don't always know how or when you're going to provide, the ways you're going to provide, but, Lord, we got your promise, and we believe you will. And, Lord, we believe that we have a bright future as a, as a Christian. And, Lord, we're looking forward to being with you for all eternity and serving you with smiles on our faces that will never disappear. Father, I pray for those who haven't experienced that salvation yet. I pray for those who are listening, Lord, would realize that you, you sent Jesus to die for their sins and that you'd be willing to save them if they would just put their trust in you. Lord, help them to know it's not a long, drawn-out process to be saved, but it's just simply placing their faith, their trust in what you did on the cross. I pray that you'd bless the invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.